Romans 10. Romans 10. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We've got Drew and Anthony coming around with Bibles. Don't be ashamed. We just want you guys to be able to follow along. If you don't own a Bible, you do now. Please take this one and keep it. If you've got a friend who wants one, take one today and then give it to, to him or her as well. Okay? Take that and open up to Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 5. Okay? As you're going there, uh, like Nate said, for nine weeks, we kind of took a little break and, and spent some time doing some other series. We did a series on, on oh man, I don't need that many, but um, so uh, we, we, did, we did nine weeks. We did four weeks on the kingdom of God and then five weeks in a series called Bless, where we look to give uh, some very tangible advice and wisdom to what does it mean for us to live out the implications of the gospel? Like what, what does that actually look like on the day to day? Okay. Um, that being said, as we come back to Romans, uh, Romans 10 here and get back into this book, let me just say this. I, I'm very excited. Like, even this week as I was prepping, well, really up until Thursday before the medication, I mean, I was really into this and spending a lot of time just really enjoying mining uh, the depth of, of the book of Romans and, and really getting this. It really was kind of that, that breath of fresh air to be back into, uh, back into this book. And so I hope a lot of you guys feel that way, too. I know we were in Romans for almost a year, and then we took, uh, we took about nine weeks off, and so we're back into it. We will be in Romans from now until Christmas. And so we will uh, be uh, kind of long haul with this and breaking it down. And so uh, hopefully you guys are tracking. The, uh, we, we passed out last time, or, or when we were still in the series, the little notebooks that said Romans on the front. There's those little moleskins. And so um, if those have gotten dusty over the last nine weeks, you're going to want to break those out again, bring them to church, uh, and be following along. If you didn't get one on the Connect desk on the way out, please grab one so you can continue to follow along with us in the series. Okay? Okay. Um, Here's what I want to do, because we haven't been in it for a while, is I want to, I want to give us a recap, and we're going to try and go pretty fast here, a recap of, of Romans 1 to Romans 10, um, because Paul is really making a, a grand argument throughout the entire book of Romans. It's not just this disjointed, let me talk about this and this and this, but really, hey, I have a grand idea. I want the people in Rome to know this. I want the church to know this. And then we, we step back and say, okay, God's the author, so we want, God wants us to know this, and so what is that? And so we go all the way back to, to, to chapter 1, where I think it gets it's framed in, in verses 16 and 17 that say that the gospel, right, that the power of the gospel, the gospel is the power of salvation for all who believe. And so right in the beginning, Paul establishes what the gospel is, the, how great it is, the depths of it, only to move us into chapter 2 through 4, really, and 2 and 3, really, where he says, you're really, really messed up. Like, like to a man in this room Every single one of us are pretty messed up, that we have this problem. It is a sin problem. It's been there since the beginning, and we all have to deal with it. It's not a very popular topic to talk about in our world today where we want to talk about how great we are, how we're the center of the world, how fun you are, and we always want to encourage and move people through a system. No, you're messed up. And honestly, I, I think if we took a step back and, and each and every one of you, regardless of your age or regardless of your experience, would say, man, I can think of multiple times in my life where I've dropped the ball even on what Nate said, my own moral code, let alone God's, okay? Now, in the midst of this, Paul introduces the law and talks about this Old Testament law that was given to the Israelites to show them and to show us, if you missed it before, if you didn't already think you weren't good enough, let me lay this out for you, and you're going to see you can't get here 
and then you're going to ask and say one thing, I need help. That's the goal, right? So Paul says, this is the goal. This is the thrust of his argument. God is good. He's amazing. He created, there's this gospel story. It's the power of your salvation. You're not good, and so I want you to cry out, I need help. And so he spends time talking about this Savior, a Savior that, that didn't just show up out of nowhere, but one that has been talked about for ages and ages throughout the Old Testament and has been there since the beginning, and that's Jesus Christ. And so he heralds Jesus. He lifts up Jesus. He heralds the gospel in all of our vain attempts to try and prove ourselves to God we realize we can't do it. And so God then gives the answer. And as we said multiple times last week, the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. And so Paul pushing forward this argument. So then we get all the way up to chapter eight and he's talking through the implications of what this means. So when he says a thing like, all things work together for the good of those who love Jesus. He says that building off this entire argument, he says, this is what has happened. This is who Jesus is. This is why I can make the claim that all things are made good for those who love Jesus, helping us define what good is within his lens and not our own, and on and on and on. And so one through eight, we have this beautiful picture of the gospel, and here's what he does in, verses, in chapters 9 through 11. He, he goes and takes this, this kind of detour for a moment. He goes off to the side just for a moment to address a question that a lot of people in Rome would be asking and that Paul himself is asking. And that question was, what is God doing with Israel? Okay. And, and just a little background on this, right? In the Old Testament, God calls to himself a people. This is the nation of Israel. Draws them in. Says, you are my people. You'd be blessed to be a blessing. Says, goes through all of these different promises. Gives them the law. And then Paul finds himself, finds himself in a place as he writes Romans where he looks around, himself being a Jew, and looks around and says, well, where's all my brothers and sisters? Why is it that all of the promises that were given to our people, to the Jewish people, don't appear to be being fulfilled? If we were his people then, why are we not his people now? And so he begins in chapter 9 to develop this answer for them and points them not, in some, not to something new, but rather to something old, and says, since the beginning, since God called you, since God brought you in, it has always, since then, been about faith. It's been about God and not about you. It's been about your trust in him, not your trust in yourself and the works that you could do to get to him. And then he introduced this idea where he talks about how God, in his mercy, chooses those whom will be saved. God, looking out upon his creation, choosing those, man, no, he doesn't deserve it. It's not fair to me, but I'm going to save him anyway. He's mine. And so God reaches out his hand, comes and gets us, and draws us back to himself. So in the midst of this, God's promises remain true. They remain faithful because the promise has never changed. It's always been about faith alone. Works were never part of the equation. 
And so we come into chapter 10 today, building off of all of this into this moment where I would say today we get one of the clearest pictures of the gospel in all of Scripture. I mean, really just just narrowing down into one of the most beautiful examples of how the gospel, the good news, what Christ did, works itself out. What does it mean to be saved? Right? And so we'll get those in these verses. Now, for, for some of you here, and, and you're not a Christian, this has direct application, because if you don't know Jesus as Lord, we want you to know him as Lord. I mean, so listen, and, and then just become a Christian. Um, second to that, okay, is if you're here and you're a Christian, and as Nate said in the beginning, we take the gospel for granted all the time. There is not a message that we could hear <laughs> enough times. Right? The gospel constantly needs to be at the forefront of everything we do. And so we want to break down, even for us, the Christians in here, what this, what this actually excuse me, looks like. So um, this week, uh, the medication I'm on is called hydrocodone. And, um, and it, it's fantastic. And, uh, and so what we did the other night is I wanted to kind of test my tolerance. You know, I wanted to see, okay, well, how long could I go without it? Because I didn't, I don't want to be a druggie. And so I was just like, okay, it says every six hours, but what would it, what, okay, should I wait till seven? This way I can save pills, go for the long haul, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to wait. And so six hours rolls by. And then we get to six and a half hours. And then by the 6.45 mark, I was in the worst pain of my life. I mean, it took 45 minutes beyond when that dose was, was supposed to be taken for me to be literally like squirming on the bed. And so my poor wife, who's 32 weeks pregnant, was now caring for two babies, right? I mean, it was just, and, and it just made me think that if we're not constantly, hear me, Christian, hear me. If you're not constantly, constantly engaging with the gospel story, if you're not over and over marinating in the truth and the grace that is in Jesus, the God, if you're not doing that, it does not take very long before you're writhing in pain. Before we find ourselves just, okay, wait a minute, I, I, I was doing so well, and then I've just, I just, I, I slipped here, and I missed this here, and the power of Jesus is no longer, I just don't experience, and, and you find yourself, man, how did I get here? And, and so today, if you're here, and listen, you're just going to be like, if you wanted to already check out, I get the gospel, I, man, check in, because if you're saying that, that means you need it more than you realize. Okay. Okay. All right. So um, the way we're going to do this, three categories. The setup of the gospel, the heart of the gospel, and the target of the gospel. Setup of the gospel, heart of the gospel, target of the gospel. Let's get going. Verse 5 with the setup. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, and so I'm going to throw out what is, everyone has said my favorite word, juxtaposition, okay, or contrast for for those of you who don't like that, that bigger one, but the contrast that Paul already sets up here again is works and faith. So, so his entire argument, building up to this point again, he's trying to show how this one didn't work and doesn't work and how this one is the answer. And so he contrasts Moses' righteousness and law versus Jesus' righteousness and faith. Okay, Moses' righteousness and law versus Jesus' righteousness and faith. Okay, next part of six. 
But the righteousness based on, based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So he starts with, okay, well, what does it not say? Okay, what, what, it, what is not being communicated? What's not being communicated is that you have to do something. That this is about your work. That this is about you going up to heaven and dragging Jesus down here. Right? Or are you descending downward and bringing Jesus back up? You doing any of these supernatural gifts are unnecessary. Christ already did them. Christ came down. Christ raised up. This was his power. This was God's will. This is not something you achieve. This is not something you do. So he's already heralding and saying, okay, you know you're trying to make this about works. You know how you've been a Christian since you were, <laughs> you came out, right? You, you were born, and then you fell into a baptismal, right? I mean, just in bath, right? Like, you've been a Christian since the beginning, and this whole time you thought that church attendance would save you. Or you thought that if you don't read the Bible, pray every day, that you're going to be left out. That you thought that, man, if, if I don't obey my parents and show up to camp, then maybe I'm not a Christian. That you thought if, and then on and on, fill in whatever these things, and honestly, they happen more subtly than we realize. But constantly, we try and raise up these things that allow us to say, yeah, I did that. And to understand the depths of which that comes from our culture. The depths that since day one, it's been all about you earning stuff. Right? That, that you have to work for this. That you have to work for approval that especially, listen, you're in high school, college, middle school, whatever today, and just you have to work for the approval to have the status that you want to have in school. That if you don't work your tail off at your job, you'll never get that promotion. Whatever it is, our culture is built around this, this reality that if you don't strive and pour everything into this, <laughs> that you're not going to succeed. And so when we hear something like this that says, man, stop working. It's not about you. You don't have to do these things. It's foreign. It's a foreign language to us. We don't get it. And that's why I think consistently we always kind of trend back towards, well, what do I need to do? Is God going to be angry if? And on and on and on. Okay. And so he, he, he sets this stuff up. I think some of us grew up in homes, and, and I didn't, and didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I talk and meet with a lot of people. We're all taught to me, say, okay, what was, your, what was your time with your parents like? What type of home did you grow up in? And they'll say, man, they're just very harsh. You know, like loving, but harsh. Like it had to be done this way, and it was, I, I, I mean, as if, as if the Pharisees were too lenient, right? Like they, they were too nice, and that you had to take a step further in order to discipline. And so, I get that some of you come out of that background and, and are trying to work through the implications. Okay, what does it mean that this is something I don't have to work for? What does that look like? Okay. And so verse 8, then now we transition into the, what I call the heart of the gospel. Okay. So not what does it not say, and, and, but what does it say? If it, if, if it isn't saying that you have to work for this, if, if the communication isn't be better, if the communication isn't prove to God, Okay. If it's this, okay, what, how does that affect us? And so verse, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. 
Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm read verse 9 again. It's because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay? So confess, believe, saved. What I love, though, is in verse 8, we, we really get excited about verse 9. Okay, this is what it means. This is how I'm saved. This is how I'm going to communicate to my friend. My friend wants to become a Christian. Just do these two things, and you're in. Okay, what I love is verse 8. The word is near you. Okay, that the word is near you, and it's near me. What, what in the world does this mean? Here's what I began to think about this week. That if you look, if you look across the, the great spectrum of world religions, right, that if you just kind of go through them all and just knock them and check them off the list, you will notice that in every single major world religion and 99% of the minors that I've studied, in all of them, it all tells a story about how you get to God. It tells a story about what do you need to do to get to God. It tells you, okay, listen, if you live by these pillars, if you spend enough time in this type of meditation, if you believe in this way, if you walk on this road, I mean, it, and as specific or un, every single one tells a story about how you or I can do something to get to God. And what the Bible preaches and what the gospel is is rather a story not of you doing something to get to God, but the true story of the world that we need, we need not go to God because God came here. Right? That in every worldview, there's always this idea, okay, there's this, and we need to achieve, we need to attain, we need to get there. Whereas we're down here, and what the gospel says is this God, this beauty, came down here and was with us, that the word became flesh, he dwelt among us. And so constantly we want to search for these other things when, man, the only story to tell us what, even in logic, what could potentially even be possible, because there was no way we were ever getting there. Something had to happen that was different, and so God came. And the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. He's come. And then as we believe, as Christians, as we sit in Jesus, he is near you in the fact that he resides in every man, woman, and child in this place that loves Jesus as Lord. The Holy Spirit lives in you and guides you and moves you and shapes you and, and convicts you and encourages you and exhorts you and counsels you and does all of these different things. God has come near to us because we could never go near to him. This is, a, this is a dramatic difference and a dramatic, tan, just a tangible way that, that takes us away from what the world would have you believe. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Okay, so here's where I got. I was spending some time, again, just, just thinking through this this week. And I thought, okay, if it's this simple, and if, and if every other story out there just seems kind of silly to me, right, that, that we could achieve our way to God, and, but God came near, and, and, and then there's all these other good benefits to being a Christian, um, the question for me became, well, why aren't more people Christian? 
I, I just, it's like, well, wait a minute. I mean, if, if this just, this just seems to lay it out that Paul's, Paul's writing this thing and, he, and he's laying it out for the people and saying, well, this is the way this all works out. Believe and confess and, and da, da, da. I mean, it seems like that's a no-brainer. That, that if you were just to sit down and hear this good news, that you'd be in in a heartbeat. But again, think about, why do I look around the city of Flagstaff and realize that 90% of the people that live here don't love Jesus, if not more? And I only came up with one, one real answer. And it's idolatry. See, it's not that the good news isn't as good. It's not that the gospel stopped being the gospel. It's not that all of a sudden God didn't come near and we didn't get all these. It's not any of that. It's that for some reason we've bought into a world that sells us a story that we think is better. That we buy into all of these other newses, all of these other gospels that aren't all that good, but they sure look good. And so we, instead of pursuing Jesus and believing and confessing and engaging with him as Christ, as Lord in our hearts, man, we just, we settle for other stories. And we settle for lesser idols, okay? And they are abundant. And they're so hard to expose because everyone in this room is completely different from the person to the left and right of you. And so you have different things that you want to chase. Right? You've all got something where you're just like, man, if, if I had this, then I'd be fulfilled. If, if she would just, and if he would just, if I could just have and, and insert your thing. If, man, if I could, and just on and on. Almost anything you start with if is a bad idea. And so what I found is that at the end of the day, what's going on is that we're just so tempted by these things that pull us from the beauty of, of the true, true gospel. And what's hard is it's everywhere. Like I, so I, I spent some, some time given, given the ankle watching some TV this week, and uh, you, know, you get a lot of commercials during the World Cup and stuff at halftime, which is also one of the benefits of watching soccer is no commercials for 45 minutes. So you should love that. Um, but one of the commercials that, that seemed to always come up uh, was, was a commercial for a drug called Cialis. And uh, I don't know if you guys know what that is. Some of you are pretty young, so you shouldn't. Um, but Cialis is an erectile dysfunction pill. And, uh, and, and it's crazy because you watch this pill and it has very little to do with erectile dysfunction and somehow really just instead paints this picture that if you take this pill, you will be in a bathtub somewhere on a beach somewhere in Hawaii, right? <laughs> Have you guys ever seen that? Like you see the thing and all of a sudden it's like they're, they're dancing underneath the moonlight and then somehow the, the commercial ends with two people sitting in beautiful glass bathtubs on the beach in front of Waikiki, okay? Now, here's why I bring this up. What the world does is they paint for you a reality you didn't even know you wanted. So, so you watch this and like never in your wildest dreams did you ever think, you know what sounds nice? Bathtub in Waikiki, Right? <laughs> next to my naked spouse in front of everyone. I never thought that. But you watch this thing, you're like, I don't even have ED and I should take that pill. And you see it on and on and on. Axe body spray is the worst. Right? If you spray this on you, fellas, every, every single female in, in here will want to be with you. Right? And you're sitting here and you're watching that and you're like, I don't even, you know what I mean? I don't even want to date anyone but I'm going to get Axe body spray. And so what happens is over and over and over, you watch these different things, and it's everywhere. It's on every billboard. They paint for you a reality you didn't even know you wanted. 
And so you watch these things, you feel your heart just kind of be like, oh, that would be great. And that's just, listen, that's how fickle you are. That's how fickle I am. That's how easily swayed we are. I'm happily married. I watch an Axe commercial and think my life isn't good enough. This is reality. And it's like, well, what just happened? Constantly you're being sold that there is a better story and a better vision for your life than you know. And so they're going to give you the product or the thing or the idol that will get you there. And so in the midst of all of this, we, we miss the gospel. We miss Jesus. This is why if you're here and, and, you're, and you're a Christian and you, you need to hear the gospel over and over and over again. You cannot hear it enough because every single day you're getting multiple competitive stories that are trying to tell you they're better than the story that you're living in right now. And so if you're not constantly hearing it and how good Jesus is and how good the gospel is, then of course you're going to go the other direction. Of course. Okay. And so the answer is, is, is simple. As we navigate this, it's, it's confess and believe, right? Confess and believe. And what I love about this is, is, is I think the whole confession thing is, is pretty easy when we think about it through our world's terms. And so this is kind of the general, okay, like, I want to be saved. I don't want to go to hell. And so let me throw out some words. Let me say the right prayer and that I'm in. But there's not a lot happening in here. And I tell you, the more time that I'm in this game, the more time that, that I spend as a pastor the more stories over and over and over that I run into where there's been a lot of confession and not a lot of belief. There's been a whole lot of, yeah, I'm in. There's been a whole lot of the outward stuff, but not a whole lot of the heart being engaged with the truth of the gospel. And there's a big difference. And so I'm not here to judge any one of you. I don't know where any of you guys are at. I don't know your hearts. I don't spend that much time with many of you. But I need you to ask yourself the question. What do I believe? Not what have I done. Not how many times did I show up to church last week. Not if you've been baptized or not. What do you believe about Jesus? Because the call of the belief here is a belief in Jesus as Lord. And this cannot be undersold. That lordship is, is very different from just having this guy that died for you. Lordship is understanding that this guy owns everything. He's the lord of every aspect of your life. There is not something you do he doesn't care about. That's what lord is. The ruler and authority over everything. And so when we say we believe in Jesus, do we believe in Jesus? Do we, do we knock off the lord piece? Do we believe in his historical reality and even in the historical events that are attached to him? Yeah, he went to the cross, he died, he rose. Okay. Do you see him as Lord? Is he that guy that in your life shepherds and rules over every aspect of you? Okay. It's a question as Christians we just have to ask. Okay, we just have to ask. Now, one last caveat in the midst of this is some of you might be thinking, okay, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you just said that this has nothing to do with works, but you're saying now that, like, this whole lordship, my life has to look a certain way to prove that I'm saved. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the same thing that we see in Scripture, 
that what happens with this confession, the confession needs to be an outward working of the belief that's already in your heart. And so all that outward stuff, yeah, that's going to come and that's going to happen. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to just start with, with what do you believe about Jesus? Who is he to you? Because listen, if he, if he is Lord and he is Savior, and the rest will come, the rest is going to follow. And, and here's the beauty of, of walking the Christian walk. Is it, and this is why I love it. it has nothing to do with what we do, is that your walk with Jesus is probably going to look pretty different from mine. And it's going to look different from the person on the left and right of you. There's no right way to do this thing, and the only right way to do it is with Jesus. And so I cannot implore you enough, Christian or non-Christian here, man, where do you land on the gospel? What do you believe about Jesus? And then make that resound in your mind and heart every single day that those true beliefs, the true story would resound in what you do, okay? And I'll tell you what, especially for you young kids that are here today just visiting, you've just, been, you've just gotten started. Like you've just gotten started with what this world's going to throw at you. You've just gotten started with all of the different stories that people are going to tell you, hey, you need to look like this, you need to act this way, you need to be at this party and not this one, you need to be around these people and not those people, you need to do this and not that, you need to jump through this. Honestly, you've just gotten started. And so, listen, when you're, when you're your age, man, get that gospel, get that on you, right? I mean, just, just spend time praying, meditating, and making sure that you're believing the story that you know that you believe. Okay, let's wrap this thing up. Verse 12, the target of the gospel. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's just two terms I want to talk about as we wrap this up from here in verse 12, and that's um, inclusion and, and diversity. Okay. Inclusion and diversity. See, I, I love Webster's Dictionary because it just tells you definitions. And, uh, and so it said this about inclusion. It said that the definition is a relation between two classes that exists when all members of the first are also members of the second. Okay. That, that if there exists these kind of these dualistic realities, okay, there's this group here, and then there's this group here, and um, inclusion would say, the person here is welcome to be in this group. Okay. That's inclusion. We are called to be an inclusive people. Okay? Now, some, some of you are already kind of getting a little self-righteous right now. We're like, okay, well, what about sin? And yeah, I get that. I get that. But, but I struggle to find times where Jesus didn't say, come here to a sinner. Come and be with me and learn and follow. Is your heart engaged? And kind of let some of the outward stuff work itself out. As calling them to repentance, certainly. But Jesus is the most inclusive guy around. Come to me, right? Come to me. Learn. Grow. Where's your heart? And so as a church, man, if we, we just have to be that. We, we have to be that type of people that says, no, hey, come in. Hear about Jesus. Get to know Jesus. Listen, we're going to talk about sin. I'm not, I'm, we're never going to go through the Bible here and not say that something's sin, that the Bible calls sin, but that doesn't mean we should not be a people that let people hear that good message. 
And so we are inclusive because everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. The other one is, uh, is this idea of diversity. And this is continuing to grow is, is just a, a big part of my passion and, and desire to see in the church today. And that, a lot has to do with the way that we've, we've started to look at Redemption Church as a whole. If you go down to the valley, you'll find two congregations that are more minorities than white. So we've got a, we've got a congregation in West Mesa that is, I don't know, 60% Hispanic, if not higher than that. They do bilingual preaching, okay? And I get to talk to Chris Amaro and Josue Lopez and the guys down there and just hear the way they're engaging with their city. And I love it. And I love that there's all of these generations of people coming together to hear the gospel. And they have another congregation in Alhambra Village and I, I, they're just like, they're everyone. I mean, they, you walk in there and you're like, there's a person here from every nation in the world. I mean, it's crazy. And I, and I talked to Aaron Daly and I said, what, what are the values here and how are you guys getting there and what are you guys learning? And it's really just getting down to the idea that at the heart of this whole thing, that God is the God of everyone. That he is the Lord of all. That here, ready? Regardless of whether or not they believe it, Every single person in this world only has one God. Okay. Regardless if they believe it. Regardless if it's a true story for them or not. The reality is the true story that we see in Scripture, they've got one God. He's their God. They just don't know him yet. So it's our job to include, bring in, and then try and, and, and be a people that are diverse in a way that opens up the gospel to anyone who would want to hear. Okay. Now, this does not mean we're diverse for diversity's sake. Like we, don't, we don't, like, we don't target a Mexican or a black guy or any other race and say, okay, we got to go get him, we got to go get her so that our numbers seem to make us diverse. That's just dumb. Don't do that. But when you're compelled by the heart of the gospel, when you're compelled by this truth, that this is... And we know that's offered to everyone. And so we share with anyone without bias because we are all under the same God and Lord. Okay. Um, we was at a conference last year and uh, there was a pastor there, Matt Chandler, and, and the band that he had asked to come in and, 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 and lead this whole conference was an all African-American band. Okay. And, and they were phenomenal. I mean, they were just, they were just crushing it and, and making every white person in the room feel super awkward. I mean, they just didn't know how to clap and were like trying to dance, but were falling over. It was fantastic. And uh, pretty much the way it looks like whenever we do something like that. And, um, and so they, they were just getting after it, and it was amazing. And then the next day, it was the second day of the conference, and, and, and Matt Chandler gets up to the front. He goes, hey, just before we get started, we have the band come up here. I need you, I need you guys to know something. Um, not every black person that's here is in the band, okay? And so stop walking up to every black person and telling them they sounded great last night. <laughs> yeah, right. We've got a problem. Like, we've, that should make us, it should, should kind of frustrate us, but also make us laugh that we'd be that stupid. Hey, man, great job last night. Cool, and what? Weren't you in the band? No. I also can do what you do. And so there's a way that we need to continually reform and, and, and view the world that we don't walk into some of these trappings. And listen, that's a, that's a whole other talk, probably a whole other series for a whole other day. But um, let us pursue these two things. At the, because at the heart of it, we believe that Jesus is the God and Lord of all. Okay? And they've just yet to see it. 
that Jesus is running this whole show, okay? They've just yet to see it, okay? That's, that's, our, that's our desire. So um, here's, here's what I want to do today is um, if you're here and, and you're not a Christian, I, I want you to just, and I don't know how many times you've heard this story, but I want to make it as black and white as possible. As, as black and white as I, as I think it's been made for us today and throughout the book of Romans, God created this world perfectly. I mean, perfectly. In our disobedience, we decided we've got this figured out. We're going to go our own way. God, we got this, and so we sin. Through that simple act of disobedience, sin enters the world, and then everything to that point has been broken, fractured, and really a messed up semblance of what it was intended to be. Okay. Since then, God's been picking up the pieces, coming up with this rescue plan for us, of which Jesus is the hero. Jesus comes, is born of a virgin. He lives a perfect life. He dies the death that you and I deserve to die. Raises on the third day to show that he conquers Satan, sin, and death, and that there is a possibility for new life for every man, woman, and child in this world. Ascends to heaven, sends out his disciples, and we are the recipients of that story, of that gospel and so if you're here and you're not a believer, that is the true story of the world, no matter what story you've been sold. No matter how many times people have told you, if you do this, this will get you to where you want to go. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Okay. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. Jesus Christ is Lord and raised from the dead and you will be saved. Saved from the shame and guilt of you thinking that you can get your way back to him yourself. Saved from the brokenness and sin you can do nothing about. In the garden in the beginning, the first time that Adam and Eve sinned, God comes down and he's like, hey, what, what happened? Adam says she did it. Typical, right? And what do they do? They, they hide. God comes down, exposes their sin, and the first thing they do is they hide in shame. The gospel reverses the immediate impact sin had the moment it entered this world. And it constantly does that in the heart of the believer. So if you're here in a Christian, continually pursue the gospel. Pursue Jesus. Remind yourself of this story. Continually confess. Continually make sure you believe what you believe about God to be in line with what we know to be true through Scripture and constantly grow in your relationship with him. These, these things, we just have to do. Land with one final story. I had a friend, have a friend. I haven't talked to him in, in years now, but uh, when I was in Vietnam working for the Jesus Film Project, we were out there and we were recording a new language in North Vietnam, and, um, and I tried to contact this guy this week, but uh, to no avail, but he, um, he was down in the South helping us record this film, and he begins to tell us his story about how he became a Christian in Vietnam. And he's going through this thing, and, he, and he's telling us, and, and, he, and he begins to say, yeah, I believe because man, I, someone had left a Bible in this little mailbox thing that he had in the front of his house, and he read it, and he became a Christian, right? It just made sense to him. And he started in Genesis, so I don't, you know, I don't really know what, that's the Holy Spirit. And so he reads through this thing, becomes a Christian, and he's telling us that after he became a Christian, he went and told his wife about it. 
And his wife said, you're crazy, and you need to give this up. And he refused, and so his wife left, took their two kids. Okay. And he wouldn't relent, wouldn't relent. He said, no, this is, this is true. I, I mean, I got to do this. And so then um, people come by from the village and burn his house down and his business down. Okay. Burn his house and business down. So he's left with no other possession. Same people come by and beat him because he wouldn't give up his faith in Jesus. Okay. And I asked him, I said, man, how are you here? <laughs> you know, how, how did you, how in the midst of all of that, I mean, your wife and kids leave you and hate you. Your livelihood and your home are both burned to the ground. You have nothing. And then even your physical health is not great. How in the world did you keep going? How, like, well, how did you choose to do that? And I'll never forget the words that he said to me. He looks me in the face and he says, what choice? There is no choice. If what the Bible says is real, there's no other choice to make. And I, mean, I just sat there and was somewhat floored by that answer. Because then I had to actually wrestle with, if I believe what the Bible says and if Jesus, if I've confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that he rose from the dead, that's going to change some things for me. That's going to mean some things for my life. Regardless of what age or status or place you're in today, that has to mean some things for you. And honestly, you're left to figure out what those are. We'll help you out. But that's what we'll spend time in response doing now. But Jesus is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for got all sorts of moments in my life where things happen to remind me of how incapable I am how fragile I am. God, it's, sometimes it's hard that it takes us such things and such moments to, to just realize we're not nearly as competent and qualified as we like to think we are. God, I pray for, for everyone here today. God, whether they're Christian or, or not a Christian or seeking or not seeking, just got dragged here, whatever that means, Lord, I, I just pray that you would do some really great work. I pray that they would be able to um, maybe, maybe just delve deep into parts of themselves they haven't been able to yet before. God, if you would um, expose their hearts enough to be honest about things they've never been honest about before. God, if there's those here that have just, yeah, this is never, they just always thought that one day, one day they'll, they'll, they'll come to you. Or one day they'll be good enough. Or even right now they think they're good enough. God, I, I pray that your grace and mercy would reveal to them otherwise. God, that there would be much confession and belief in this place across the spectrum of Christian and not. God, that we would lay our lots on the table and that we would remember this is why we know you're faithful. 
This is why we know you're faithful, not just to the Jews, but to all mankind, that God, that everyone who confesses the name of Jesus will be saved. And so, God, would that story ring true for many people today? Would you save? Would you refine? Would you sanctify? Would you make us more like Jesus? God, for your glory, for our joy, and for the sake of this city. God, we are thankful. Even when we forget, even when we chase other things, we're thankful that we can come home, breathe fresh air, and be reminded of the greatest story that's ever been told. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace. Be worshiped now. It's your name we pray. Amen.